Well, I've always been fascinated by the craftsmanship that it takes to be elite in kitchens across the world. And that is why I asked Chef Eric Ajapong to be on the podcast this week. And in this episode, we talk about his time being a finalist on Top Chef, how he fell in love with cooking, the influence of West African food on modern American staples, what mise en place is, and why every creative person should practice it. And lastly, we talk about the NBA, basketball. I saved that for the end in case you're not a sports fan, but it was still a good time to talk about it with him. So I've really been inspired by Eric for years and years since I first saw him on Top Chef, and it was a total blast to get to know him and learn more about his story. So without further ado, here's our discussion. Chef Eric, thanks so much for being on the podcast, man. Absolutely, Alex, man. It's a pleasure to be here, and uh, thanks for calling me out, man. Absolutely, man. I'm, I'm excited to talk to you. I've wanted to talk to you for a couple of years now. I, like many others, I'm sure, got to see you on Top Chef uh, yeah. a couple of years back. You've been on twice, and I was following you the, the first time around really closely. And for some reason, you just really stuck out amongst the crowd to me. And I think that I, I want to get into why. I think there are a lot of good reasons why, but... I guess first and foremost, maybe for people who don't know who you are or what you're up to. I mean, you have a million things going on. So maybe just give me a quick bio of who you are yeah, and what, you, yeah. what, what you're up to. Absolutely, man. Um, I uh, am a chef, born and raised in New York City. Um, my folks came from Ghana in the, uh, in the late 80s and, uh, and had me in New York. Uh, so I'm the first person in my family born um, outside of Africa, uh, mm. which gives me a pretty cool perspective and I guess... Uh, viewpaint on, on, on life, especially being here in the States. And, you know, I kind of fell into food really young and followed that passion all throughout. I uh, went to college for it and got back to New York and started working at like some of the best restaurants I can get my hands on. Yeah. And, and at that point, you know, kind of just falling deeper into the rabbit hole, so to speak, I went into, uh, moved to London, um, England, mm -hmm. and I studied for my master's out there in public health nutrition. So just kind of bridging the gap between food and the culinary technical side and actual like, what is it actually doing? How is it impacting the world? And I think that's when really things started to blossom. And I, I, I went to Ghana, like in 2013, I uh, did my thesis out there and really just kind of fell in love with uh, the arc and the story. And it kind of just kind of came to a full circle moment with me, you know what I mean? And I, I've been in Ghana. I lived in Ghana a little bit before, but now in like my adult life, um, I can really see uh, the impact in food and culture and uh, and everything. And really, just kind of came back to the states with the kind of revigorated kind of like sense of food and and really what my philosophy around food would be. And mm -hmm. that's kind of when the domino chips started falling, so or the dominoes started falling, so to speak. And Top Chef came about and some other kind of cool uh, TV uh, opportunities. But yeah, when Top Chef came and I, I, I've been watching the, the show and the, the competition since uh, maybe like season three, season four, uh, even when I was in, back in college and just completely fascinated by the storylines and the chefs and watching their careers as well blow up and blossom after the show. I kind of said to myself, if I ever was crazy enough or lucky enough to make it, I would love to kind of showcase West African food and, and food of diaspora. I've never seen it done, you know? Yeah. Um, and, you know, at that point when I got on the season or in the show, rather it was 16 seasons in. Uh, yeah. So I really kind of was like, you know what? I can do the modern American. I can do the modern French, whatever the case is. But this, this could be a really cool platform to kind of shout from the, the speak the gospel from the highest mountaintops, so to speak. And yeah, then it worked out. It worked out all right. For sure. Yeah, I think that's what was so impressive about you to me watching was I think I think on shows like that, it's easy because you're you're presenting your food to these really fancy uh, judges and it's really intimidating because you want to perform well. You really want to like prove yourself, all these things. And I find a lot of times watching kind of everyone is finding their sea legs a little bit and there's yeah. like a little a little bit of fear to maybe impress the judges first. But what I think was so cool about what you were doing was you you were cooking to make you happy first. And yeah. then it translated into the judges being happy with what you did. Like you were you crushed it the whole season. And I felt the whole time there was this conviction for a bigger story in your cooking. Mm -hmm. And I felt like when everyone else is just like kind of trying to survive challenge to challenge, I was like, Eric's, he's on another level. He's telling this bigger story the whole time. Where, where do you think that conviction to tell that bigger story like comes from? I know, you, I mean, just, just going back to Ghana, yeah. learning about the heritage, all that stuff, because it really, 
shown through, you know, cause I had never seen anybody really bring their culture, their background into the craft the same way that you did at yeah. time and time again, you know? Yeah, no, it was, um, it, it was a roll of the dice. It was a little bit risky because there's a little bit of an education that I'm doing and in, in, in addition to presenting the dish as well. Right. And it, right. you have to remember, at least for the folks that's watching, there's a finite time that you have to present your dish, what it's about, how it came to be. And after that finite time, it's really up to the judges to deliberate, you know, so mm -hmm. you have to be super concise. And there was a lot of kind of like hoops and ladders and stuff like that, shoots and ladders that I had to kind of get through to even just tell them what this dish is. They've never, for the most part, even seen or heard or uh, experienced a lot of these like spices or ingredients together. But I think that conviction, conviction came through. Um, just really wanted to kind of, uh, again, preach about that the food of the diaspora, I think, as delicious as everything else is, French food and Italian food and Chinese and Japanese and American, there's a seat at the table for, for a lot of what West African has to bring, um, especially when you think about uh, food here in America and what we kind of like honor and like the staples, fish and grits, um, shrimp and grits and jambalaya and gumbo, like a lot of these Southern classics are all um, cousins and, and come from um, African dishes. So I, I wanted to be able to kind of put forward, I say this pretty much in every interview, but Africa being the second biggest continent in the world, the food is so unknown. I'm like, you know, how can I find ways to elevate that and, you know, use my training, classical training that I've gotten from school and um, using like the flavor profiles and, and the techniques that I kind of grew up on, you know, I mean, a second nature to me. So yeah. it, it was, that was the conviction, man. It was easy for me once I kind of locked in because it is what it is with me. I'm not like faking the funk. This came right. really easy. You know what I mean? As far as like coming up with the dishes. And I think in a way it kind of put me on a different level. You're right. Mm. You know, cause I wasn't necessarily worried about, I was on a mission. <laughs> you know what I mean? I wasn't exactly. necessarily worried about the, the highs and lows. And then it wasn't up until the end when I realized, man, like, I made it all the way through. There's only like two people next to me right. and you know, I had the most wins and, and all that stuff. Like there was a lot of cool things going for me, but I think above all it, those really like um, checkpoints and those tactical kind of like things that people like tally the wins, the losses and all that didn't really hit me until like I was actually eliminated. I'm like, wow, I actually did all of that. Right. So it really was like a big hit. Like no, no, no lie. It was a big hit. Like when it was like five of us, four of us, three of us, I'm like, Oh shoot, I'm still around doing the same thing. And yeah. it was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll leave it at this. You got robbed. I'll say that oh, one man. time. <laughs> I've been, I've been wanting to tell you that since I watched the season, you got robbed. I'll put it I that appreciate way. That. That's um, true. Man. Thank you. Yeah. I, I, just, I just felt like far and away you, you were just such a clear voice and had such a clear point of view that I was really disappointed, but I'll move on from that. I don't, don't want to get you in hot water, but I just, I had so I, me, me and my wife both agree. We're like, you have to tell him he got robbed. Cause that's just the truth. But, no, it was, um, it was a wild bet. I appreciate that so much. You know, um, it's, it's not easy. It's not easy to get there. It really is. Totally. So Kelsey and, and Sarah, I mean, I, I tip my hats for them mm -hmm. as well, but I, it felt good to, to kind of be dubbed the people's champ. I think afterwards, yeah. and, you know what I mean? Like it was a lot of Twitter and social media. Uh, so that made me feel, um, it patched a wound in my heart after, after yeah. everything. But it was <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I'm curious what, what, we don't have to talk too long about it, but I think for me, I don't really know how a show like that works. Like, is there anything, like how, what's the weirdest part maybe about being on a show like Top Chef? Is it just like oh, man. cameras in front of your face 24 yeah, seven? Is that yeah, like, yeah. yeah. I mean, we don't live life like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you have people kind of just documenting your every move is something you got to get used to. You, you sign off on it before the show actually starts, but you really don't mm -hmm. know like how deep the waters are until you actually have like a camera in your face at six o'clock in the morning. And you know, you're supposed <laughs> right. to wake. it's intense. Um, but I think one cool thing that, uh, I, as a huge fan as well of the show and then realizing when I got in kind of getting like the super baseball, you know, inside of baseball uh, type thing was the, the cadence in which like the show starts and like the commercial breaks that I guess the viewer sees. So, you know, we walk into a challenge, Padma's usually in the kitchen with the guest or by herself and she lets us know what we have to do and then pause you guys, the audience, see the commercials. And then we're getting like a list of rules, things that we can and cannot do uh, during this challenge. Mm. And it's like a pamphlet like that thick. It's it's super like legal. And okay. they record you saying that you understand. And like, so there's no like, you know, I didn't know I couldn't do this. And I could I didn't know I couldn't do that. So that's that was a pretty cool like um, just seeing that that part. And then also the production, man. It's 
we as like the talent, so to speak, um, on the show, the 15 chefs that start on is what the, the audience and, and everybody focuses on. But the production is just insane. Yeah. The audio and the visual and the the, the the culinary team building these sets and breaking them down after the, it's just remarkable what they do. And it's, it's no doubt, you know, like at least from me seeing it from the inside, uh, why they get nominated for the Emmys like all the time. It's a true, like it's a show. It really is. It's crazy. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah I've always wondered like what, what the secret rules are that we can't hear about. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, cause I, I think of like shows like survivor and like other reality type shows where it's like, you can mess with other people's stuff. And I'm sure like top chef, they're like, you cannot mess with anybody else's process yeah, no, or, cooking no. or anything like it's, that. It's not snug. They, they have it there, but you know, sometimes there's a little bit of, uh, the gamesmanship that some chefs try to take advantage of and try to like blur that line so it kind of comes back to them especially when you got the cameras on you man it's like yeah you have the rules you have all these cameras around you so it's kind of hard to like you know uh do something that you're not supposed to be doing and then you know camera b or c or d could see you you know what i mean it's it's, yeah. it's, it's well and that's what they things. want because then you're gonna and that's what you want. yeah of, they want all of america to see you acting bad legit <laughs> so, legit legit so yeah. i mean for me i was like you know what no matter what like hot water or whatever like even if it's like a a, a social situation or if i like left an ingredient i'm not gonna like overly like react i'm gonna try to stay cool and within myself because i'm not trying to like cause another storyline that you know is going to distract me from what i'm doing so that, that was another like gamesmanship thing too because you, you're almost battling the cameras as well you know what i mean and, mm. and making sure that you got to keep your cool and it's just a lot it's a lot it's, it's one of the hardest things i've ever done in my life for sure yeah for sure would you say like that that has been the biggest turning point in your career doing top chef oh the roller coaster is still going up. I think yeah. um, it's still clicking up. Yeah, it's definitely up to up until this point. But I think there's so many other cool things right now that are, are kind of in the pipeline and that can really like uh, even surprise me and shock me. But I mean, I, I got to tip my hat to, to everything that's kind of happened up until this point. It's a really good point that you brought up, though. It's like a lot of people kind of see just what happens on Top Chef and realize or kind of think that's where my story started because. Typically, that's where they saw me, you know what I mean? Mm, but beforehand, yeah. it was so much work and it felt good to get, you know, the traction on all the hard work up until Top Chef point. So I think Top Chef is definitely a huge point in my career up until now. But I'm really hopeful that some, some cooler things are, are in the horizon, you know, always yeah, got to try for, for sure. something better. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I I want to get into those things because I know, I mean, you have you have books on the way. You're doing stuff yeah. at Bowery Farms. You're doing like all this, all this extra new, new work. That's really, really exciting. I want to get into For that sure. later on. But I do think like it would be cool to dive into your background. Like I really, you know, this show is kind of all over the place about just my interests. And I think with you, what I'd really like to learn more about is like how you fell in love with cooking and getting into like the craftsmanship of it all. Yeah. I've always been fascinated by it. I'm a huge, you know, Anthony Bourdain fan, love all of his books. And I've, you know, I bust tables growing up. I did yeah. cooking and stuff like that. And so I, I know the world enough and I've worked in kitchens and, and stuff, never as a chef or a line cook or anything, but I'm fascinated by the world and how much craft it takes. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it takes a very specific type of mind and person to not only fall in love with it, but to be truly elite at it. Yeah. So like maybe when did you first really fall in love with cooking? Uh, for me, it was super young. I think I fell in love with, yeah, cooking. I think around like six or seven, um, I would be in the Bronx remembering. Uh, I remember watching like uh, the PBS shows with Julia Childs and, uh, and Yang can't cook. And then like mm -hmm. switching over to watching like a cartoon of Power Rangers or something like that right over. Mm -hmm. But I, I was just fascinated by like, ingredients and and putting things together and 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 also i think um, closer to that it was my my mom and my uncle i almost saw it as like a superpower that they had to like when they made food everybody came you know what i mean mm. and it was just like a cool moment where you know nothing mattered for that hour and a half two hours that we're all at the dinner table and i, I really just admired that so i think that's when the uh, the fire lit or it was stoked and i, I think understanding it was probably up until the point i got into high school uh, i did like a technical school out there and i you know for like four or five periods out of the day go to like a vocational school and you know learn the small like basic fundamentals of culinary arts and that was like all right cool i i think i can do this and i went to johnson and wales eventually and i think that point i was 
I was kind of bored, so to speak, mm. with a little bit of stuff that I was learning. I, I, I was fascinated by like the food process, but I, I think the boredom or really just the excitement didn't come for me because I, I didn't get a strong connection with like, I understood French food, I understood like Italian food, like I mentioned, but I didn't really hear too much about like the food that I grew up eating. And mm. you know what I mean? That, that kind of disconnected me a little bit, but I think I had a huge kind of like comeback moment when I moved back to New York and you have like the eclecticness of like a Hispanic restaurant and then, you know, South American restaurant and an Italian restaurant, like all within the same vicinity in New York. And that right there was just like, yeah, this is what I need. You know what I mean? I need flavor. Mm. I need all that. So I think in reverse, I started falling in love with flavor. And then when I got to like the, when I got into my first job, I worked at Rouge Tomat in New York before it shut down and I was put on my butt, man. Alex, I mm. like, yeah, yeah. I thought I knew it all and all that stuff. And I was put on my butt, but mm. you learn about like why you need to cut your fish a certain way. You would learn yeah. about why you need to braise in a certain manner and temperature. You learn why you need to shallow fry versus, you know, um, pan sear. Like there's mm. so many different techniques um, that, that you learn. And that kind of just brought me back to square one, at least when I was yeah. um, back in a, as a line cook and started reading a lot more. Right. Um, and just getting those that 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 fundamental. Um, and I think for any chef, that's the first thing I would say is like focus on those those fundamentals. You have to learn how to saute properly. If you're going to call something a medium dice, it better be a medium dice. Small dice, it better be a small dice. Like learn your knife skills. Learn learn uh, all these techniques: sauteing, braising, um, shallow frying, uh, sous vide. Like you have to know how to do this and and be super technical. And at that point you can just kind of, um, color within the lines and, and get, you know, you mm. can create jazz, so to speak, and just get yeah. as creative and, and as fun as you want. But as long as you know what you're doing, then nobody can tell you anything. And, you know, as long as you represent it on a piece of paper, on a menu as such, uh, you learn this quickly in Top Chef. Um, if it's not, if it's not like directly exactly what you said and they read it as something else or they, mm. they eat it as something else, they're going to come to you. And they'll right. ask you questions. I, I find it so fascinating that Tom Colicchio, the head judge, is uh, his restaurant's name is Craft. It's Craft for a reason. Like he, mm. he doesn't skip a beat, man. He like he knows exactly uh, what a braise is. He knows exactly what things should taste like when you call it that. And 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 really like I, I find that right there just to be so fascinating. So for me, I think after my line cooking days and and really kind of maturing into my own, I realized how like more and more like you know, you can be creative as creative as you want, but if you don't know what you're doing technically, then, right. Then you're, you're, you're shooting, you're, you're just kind of just um, shooting in the dark, so to speak. So, um, right. I think that right there for me was like the number one thing. It's still the number one thing. I always want to know, like be better, you know what I mean? And sure. I think the creativity and the, and the fun and, you know, that color kind of comes in. So to speak. Yeah. Yeah. I think it may have been Picasso or it might be just misattributed to him, but I think it was like, you have to master, the rules before you can break them. Totally. Oh, think, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm curious. I would love to hear a little bit about that first restaurant, how you said it put you on your butt. How did it put you on your butt? Like, yeah, tell me that man. story. I, I remember just coming in thinking hot, you know what I mean? Like mm. uh, for a lot of culinary students graduating, you think you're like, you're ready for an executive chef shop and you're ready to own your own like 15 restaurants <laughs> and right. you come in and it's not only folks that went to culinary school, it's people that didn't go to culinary school. It's people that, mm. you know, just a really like you're in New York city. So you can imagine how eclectic this like micro kind of like microcosm of the actual like city is and perspective is there and, and hierarchy and, and true like uh, the true brigade system is, is there, you know, there's, you don't come in, you know, a, a general or a sergeant, you come in just low ranked and you have to kind of build your way up. And I, I wasn't ready for that. Um, I didn't, this is my first kind of real job in the workforce, you know what I mean? So mm -hmm. I, I thought I had it all. So it did, man, it was a humbling experience. You know, I learned about speed. I learned about setting my station right and, and just being efficient as possible. You know, being efficient is, is number one, um, especially in a restaurant and, and your timing is, is so important as well. Making sure that, especially if you're doing like course dinners, your component on, you know, dish one is also going to be ready on table one. The same time your component on dish four is going to be ready for their table. Like there's so many different timings and it, it's, it's, it's a lot. So there's a whole orchestra and that's why you have the head chef or the chef de cuisine who's kind of like calling out the tickets and it's a true like performance throughout the night four mm -hmm. or five hours. And, and I didn't, I didn't know any of that. You didn't, you know, yeah. I don't get, you didn't really 
learn that too much in, in culinary school. So I, that was the moment where like real life came with like the technical that I was learning. Mm. Um, and you know, that, that's kind of like smack of reality was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. You know, like I, yeah super understood about, you know, just people and the people that you're working with and the dishwashers and the relationship that you have to have with your bussers and your waitress and your wait staff and like all of this. It's a true, like, again, um, it's a symbiotic kind of orchestrated uh, moment. So I, I, I found that out really fa- fast and you adapt, you either adapt or die. And I, I kept adapting mm-hmm. and, and kept coming back, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. Even when I felt super down on myself or I didn't feel like I was like making the traction that I thought I would, but I kept coming back and kept learning and that was so, so good for me in my career. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, yeah I man. think of like the first time I had, I was like 18, 19, maybe even younger. I had a busboy job and I was like, yeah, it's just like washing dishes. No it's big fine. deal. It's yeah, no yeah. big deal. <laughs> and, then, and then you're in the middle of, I'm in the middle of the first shift and it's, it's just stacked to the ceiling dishes and chefs are coming and throwing their dirty dishes at me. And it's just like, and I can't even like my responsibility. I mean, it was important, I guess, but compared to a chef, I'm sure it's even more insane. That first shift of like, Mm -hmm. Whoa, this is not what I was expecting. This is not what you thought it was. Yeah. Yeah. It's so fast paced. It really is. Um, especially in your major city. I mean, honestly, any, any popular restaurant that's doing well, Saturday night, Friday night, they're, they're going to be hit and keeping your composure, you know what I mean? And understanding your systems, even when you feel like all things are going to break, like you have systems in there for a reason. So lean on that and, and lean on your staff. Like you really get to understand who you're working besides and it's a tight Mm -hmm. line. So, you know, and, it's just so many different like variables that come into to a really good restaurant and and how it presents to a community or a city or a space, you know. But it's it's a lot of fun when it clicks and when it when it's all like running on all cylinders. It's just like it's such an adrenaline rush, and you're cooking great food, and then you also realize like there's that going on within the kitchen and then outside the kitchen, you're, you're helping people celebrate birthdays and wedding anniversaries mm-hmm. and right. you know all these other things that you probably don't even see as often. So that's a cool, another cool thing about being a chef. Like we're, we're providing experiences and sometimes we don't even see it or realize. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit? Um, and then we can get off this, but I, I am curious, like the, the lifestyle can be pretty hard for, for being a chef. I mean, even you just said like Friday night, Saturday nights, like how have you been able to manage that with your life? Cause I know you're, you're a family man, things like that. Like, has that been an adjustment for you? Or is it just kind of like all you've yeah. ever known in your professional career? It just seems like when everyone else is off, you're working and vice yeah. versa. Like how, yeah. how has that been like managing that? That's been my life since I started working really in the the kitchen and, um, it's, you know, occupational hazards, I guess, you know, if you're a seamstress, you might get snipped by your scissors or whatever. And if you're a Uh chef, you might just miss out on a a cool event on a Friday. Like it just happens, you know, it's something that you learn to adjust. Um, it's not a a settled moment. Like I'm always learning and adjusting. I have a daughter Mm -hmm. now and like, how do you figure that out? Like it's, Mm it's always an adjustment period to it. But it's also really important to have people that support you and support what you're doing and believe in you as well. Like I have a wife that's amazing. My family is amazing. And, and, you know, they make the sacrifices and adjust with me uh, where I need to. But yeah, you know, it's plenty of times like on holidays, you know what I mean? Christmas or Thanksgiving Mm -hmm. or whatever, like I've been in the kitchen and you miss out on these, these really important moments. Um, There's a balance though. You have to be able to kind of, you know, one year you do it the next year, hopefully if you're in the same spot, you know, you can negotiate your way to, to kind of keep, sure. you know, with your family because it is important. And that's one thing, especially, you know, for the places that I like to to be around is, you know, that uh, that work life balance. And it's a it's a very it's a, it's a uh, teeter tottery type thing that you have to yeah. kind of adjust and tweak every single day with all sure. the people that work with you. But it's, it's super important to lock in. But you don't you don't you don't get a uh, you don't create a chemistry kind of like um a really good sports team, you know what I mean? That's been together for like three years or four mm. years, you know, and no player or major players have been traded. They just have a chemistry with each other. They know where they like the sweet spots. They know where they mm-hmm. like the ball or whatever. Like that's the type of thing you're trying to build with the kitchen staff. So you have to have them, you know, be the, you have to have them together as well. Right. Uh, so that, that work-life balance is super important because like, you know, especially if you have goals for the restaurant Michelin or, you know, getting stars in your, in your, uh, in your local city or town, you need a team to be super cohesive. You need a team right. to be like locked in. You need a team for like the playoff moments, you know? So for sure. yeah. yeah, yeah. That's how it goes. 
That's cool. I want to talk basketball with you, but I'll save that to the end. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm here in New York, so and I've been following really closely, but we Sweet, can save yeah. that to the end. To not bore people, but, but I'm curious, man, like I was so excited. I um, I saw, I follow uh, Joshua Kissy. Yeah. And he's he's just this, yeah, this incredibly talented photographer. I'm, I'm going to try and get him on the podcast as well. But so I watched your season on Top Chef and then I saw him posting about photos he had taken of you. And I was like, oh my gosh this is a sick collab. I'm really excited about this. And then I, and then I saw it was about you writing two books and that's how I learned that you were not only doing all this stuff in food, but now you're becoming an author. And what was even crazier was those two books, not just one, which is insane, man. Um, So maybe, maybe tell me about that. Like, I'm curious where you're at in the process of those and maybe describe what the two books are. And then we can talk a little bit more about each. You know, um, I was ecstatic when the opportunity came. I'm still ecstatic Mm -hmm. now. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Oh my goodness. Yeah. One book is a lot. Two books is just like, what was I thinking? But it's, <laughs> it's great because, um, I can't, I, I wouldn't have been able to do it behind it. Like the team that I have, my co-author mm. and literary agent and publisher and everybody, but it's really cool. It's a, it's, it's cathartic. I get to ask myself questions I've never asked, you know, or haven't asked myself. And, it's super like interpersonal. I find myself like calling my sister and my mom and my brother, like, Hey, what happened in 2020? What happened in 1998? You know what I mean? Like Mm. all these are really big pivotal moments, pivotal moments uh, in my life and and that reflect on my career. So it's been a really cool opportunity to kind of just like think about memories that I haven't thought about and, and everything in between. And then the children's book that I'm doing is kind of reflecting that, you know, it's like my childhood growing up as a first generation, uh, Ghanaian uh, American and going to school. And, you know, uh, you have like folks who are uh, Italian American and, and Hispanic American and, um, that have like a uh, food that everybody knows macaroni and, um, mm. and pizza and then, you know, spaghetti and meatballs. And then me, I'm coming with like food that no one's ever heard of. And like these mm. potluck moments where I have to bring in my dish and I kind of feel like some sort of way about it. So it kind of dives into that. And, you know, mm. a lot of, uh, a lot of first gen, uh, not even just from, from Africa, Ghana, just in general, I was speaking to a lot of like first generation Indian American and, you know, like all these just Chinese American and, we all have very similar ties, you know what I mean? Like the smell mm-hmm. of our clothes when our mom was cooking, that wasn't so familiar or like, you know, mm-hmm. lunchtime when everybody's bringing out their food and, you know, everybody's got their sandwiches or whatever. And you have like your dumplings and you know what I mean? Right. Like, or, your, you know, something like that, that just wasn't a uh, happenstance. I think it's, it's been a really cool experience. So I, I'm excited to kind of like share that, um, especially for a lot of people that understand uh, that perspective and for the folks mm-hmm. that, that don't, you know? Yeah. But it's a, it's a great moment. Joshua has been uh, a friend and, and someone that I look towards and love to for some time. And he's from the Bronx as well, from Ghana as well. So he, he definitely is going to be helping out with the book, uh, taking photos for that. So I'm super excited and honored for that. And it's just, a, it's a cool process. It's a, it's a very long one. Uh, mm-hmm. I think when I first got into it, my, my agent told me that, you know, if you're going to have something that's going to hopefully be on a bookshelf for 10, 20 plus years, you want to take your time and do it, you know? And, mm. and that's the kind of moment I'm in. I'm sometimes can be impatient, but you, you learn uh, writing a book that that's just, you can't, you have to be patient and you have to right. reread and uh, rewrite and mm. edit and edit and edit. And I have like the same chapter edited like 10 times. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm on computer now, you know what I mean? It's like final yeah. edit, forget it. Um, sure. but it's, 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 it's a cool thing, man. Um, I'm having a great time doing it and I, I just can't wait to show the world and, and put my piece of, you know what I mean? Out in the world and, and call it what it is. Like that's, that's pretty exciting to me to have something that's going to, you know, outlast me and hopefully mm-hmm. uh, my family. And, you know, that's, that's awesome to me when I think about it. Yeah, for sure. I want to talk more about the, the other book in a second and what that is digging into topic wise, but I'm curious. I have a friend, you had mentioned being a, being a a child and, you know, having like a potluck or lunchtime and and you're, you're opening your food container, maybe next to kids whose food doesn't look or smell like yours. And I, it like, it kind of, it's like a, it's a real moment for me. One of my buddies, he's, uh, he's a first, first generation immigrant and his parents are, uh, Korean. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he, he described to me one of the most pivotal moments of his childhood that he he's brought up a few times to me is how, um, and I, I'm just getting deep here. If you're cool with that, just just how much he just felt a lot of shame Mm. because 
his food looked different, smelled yeah. different, and kids would would you know make fun of him or say things. And it's 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 crazy to think about that. I don't I don't know if you ever experienced anything like that, but it, it was yeah. so interesting to think about what food and what it means because to him it was just day-to-day life and what food represents can be so beautiful and means so much in, in connection, but it also can be hurtful, you know, in a certain context yeah. like that when people don't get it. And I'm sure that you, you've probably experienced things like that too. Did, did that ever be a part of it when you're, when you're a kid with that? For sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> I laugh about it now, but I, I completely understand the context in which he's talking about, like even in the book, there's a glimpse of him walking with his friends and talking about the potluck. And and then like, like he's walking towards his neighborhood and he kind of thinks to himself, like, I love the food that I eat. You know what I mean? It's just, I don't mm. necessarily love it eating in front of other people. And then sure. that's yeah. like, that's, that's just kind of the feeling that I had, you know, sometimes growing up or even having like my friends come over, you know what I mean? And, you know, mm. you know, you're supposed to, your mom offers them food and I love the food. I think it's delicious, but there's, there's, you know, there's, kind of a little shame or you know you're, you're kind of embarrassed i don't know it's 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 weird as a child and and even now in my adulthood that, that kind of happens now not necessarily i'm ashamed of the food but still kind of being able to kind of like you know introduce people and, and it is what it is but I, I i completely understand like there's a pride in the food that you eat because it's it's mm-hmm. what you know it is what it is um but then also when you like see a reflection of your world and I guess in the reflection of other people's worlds together, uh, then you kind of get reclusive sometimes and you kind of yeah. like come to yourself and, you know, like you said, your food smells a little bit different or it looks a little bit different. That could be a very big moment, you know, for, for a lot of kids. And I know it has been for, for a lot of kids like me. So right. I'm excited to kind of dive into those stories and those, those, those storylines uh, within the book, but it's a, it's a triumph. Like it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a feel sure. good, it's a feel good type of thing. Um, and you know, you realize at least the, our uh, protagonist in the book realizes like how special it is to be, you know, from a you know a different place, and you know mm-hmm. celebrates his food towards the end, and you know gets through all that. But there's an arc, you know what I mean? I'm excited. One hundred percent. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's my 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 friend. Yeah, he's super into food now, and he's very proud of of all of all of it and where he comes from and stuff. But it was it was a really interesting thing to to hear about, especially you know, I mean, me being white American as it can get, you know, and, and I never experienced those things growing up, you know? And so it's, it's, uh, it's really important to, to hear about it and learn about it, but it made a lot of sense. And it's, and it's a really brave, uh, moment. And I imagine as, as a little boy or girl and you're presenting your food and it's, it's just a really interesting way of like bridging a gap. And I, and I think it's cool. I hope that your book, I'm positive your book will start to change that narrative a little bit and normalize, normalize that. So I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But, um, tell me about the other book because there's, it, it dives into not just food i think this is all just me just reading things on the internet so sure, sure. check me if i'm wrong but yeah, yeah maybe so tell me a little bit about what that one is yeah. about i'm excited it's it's really walking through my life almost memoir style mm. and how i fell into food how i fell in love with food and and talking about my experience um, as a kind of like the duality living up in, in new york city as a very true like new york city kid but then going home to a super traditional west african home and those kind of like that duality and and falling in love with food in my travel to Ghana and back and forth and uh, and everything. But the food itself and and the recipes, uh, I'm really excited to 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 talk about. I'm gonna be talking about like traditional West African meals and dishes that a lot of people from it. It's a cool it's a cool kind of concept at least when I think about it because. On one hand, uh, well, let me lay it out. I'm talking about like traditional like dishes that a lot of people in West Africa, Ghana, Senegal, Nigeria, Togo will understand and like, oh, they can recognize and, and, and point out. Mm-hmm. But I'm also taking those ingredients that we know and love and those flavor profiles and I'm like flipping it into like more modern technique, things mm-hmm. that I kind of grew up uh, understanding to what be, you know, great dining techniques and stuff like that could be um, working in like, you know, Michelin star restaurants and, and all that. So I'm kind of bridging the gap between like a modern and tradition, you know, and, and I love it because it's cool for folks who may not be as familiar with the cuisine from the diaspora. Tradition could just be like something they absolutely didn't know about and it's mm. it's new to them, you know, but yeah. uh, using these ingredients in different ways, uh, maybe in like in a hamburger or in like a, a different kind of, you know, more modernized way, I think would be really cool and a, a nice way to kind of bring folks who may not know too much about 
the cuisine and and bring them in and have them hopefully celebrate, you know, that traditional side as well and, and, and explore as much as possible and, you know, seek those restaurants within their neighborhoods that, you know, those, you know, those little pockets of like little Africa or whatever in their neighborhoods and, and try those mm. spaces out. So it's a, it's a really cool kind of blend. It's, um, uh, I get super eclectic, but then I'm also just talking about things that I grew up, fufu and light soup and peanut butter soup mm. and jollof rice and, you know, super just like basic party staples that are always at mm-hmm. every African house, you know, and then, you know, me kind of just putting things on its head as a creative as well. You know what I mean? And that's one sure. thing I like to celebrate, uh, uh, being, you know, having the ability to try these foods and, and, you know, kind of get in my own like mad scientist laboratory and, and kind of play mm-hmm. around with it. It's been a lot of fun as well. So yeah, um, it's eclectic. It's going to be recognizable. It's going to be, um, it's going to share a lot of stories, even if you're not from Africa or whatever that you'll understand and, and you'll, you know, hopefully can connect to. I am, I'm excited. You know, it's a, it's a really cool project. Probably the, um, the biggest project solo that I've done. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Actually. But I, I, I really can't wait for the final, you know, product and to talk about it afterwards as well. It's one thing to kind of talk about it when it's in the process and, sure, yeah. you know, but when it's all said and done and the, the ink is dried to, to really go out there and, and, you know, try to celebrate it as much as possible. Yeah, for sure. Could you tell me just as someone who doesn't really know a lot about it, how, how is West African food and flavor profiles uh, and maybe some of the things you're going to write about in the book, like how has that affected maybe what? You know, I live in the middle of Manhattan, some of the restaurants that I walk down the street and encounter, but maybe just the U.S. in general, like maybe tell me a little bit of how it's affected maybe cuisine that I wouldn't even know as just like Mm -hmm. a a casual diner. Yeah, for sure. Um, It's it's uh, it's with kind of woven within the fabric. You know, you think about Mm -hmm. like the storyline of America and how pretty much these predominant cultures kind of came to be. It's hard when we think about the food that we eat every single day, how this is not like an important type of tell or or storyline to, you know, what America is at at the present moment. Um, Mm. I love telling the story of like jambalaya, you know, you go to New Orleans and, or you'll have like jambalaya in different kinds of spots in in New York or whatever, but it's a very uh, close relative. It's akin to jollof rice, which is like a tomato based Mm. rice. Um, You cook it down with different vegetables or, uh, different type of proteins, you know, shrimp and grits, a classic brunch flavor, you know, that, that comes from, uh, you know, the hominy grits and the shrimp and that collaboration. You'll see a lot of that in parts of like Senegal as well. Uh, gumbo is the Senegalese, uh, the gumbo means okra. Mm. You know what I mean? So you think about like, you know, what, what we do and how you'll see that dish being made in, in Senegal with so much okra and some of those flavors. It's it's really cool, but it's it's about technique. It's about flavor. Um, I think the combinations of a lot of the spices that we use and 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 how we cook things, the cadence in which we cook things, putting the oil and putting the spices and letting things marinate and all these things that you'll you probably won't get as far as like a big description on a on a plate or excuse me on a menu. But it's mm. so prevalent within the actual kitchen. Like this is like a very like. African esque um, way of uh, of making food, so uh, I, I love that. I love those stories, um, and it's not only just like America; it's also the Caribbean as well, a little bit of Southern mm. America, and the use of like plantains and cassava and yam and, and and all these like staples that are so well and pop well known and popular, you know, pretty much through Western Hemisphere. So it's a, it's it's cool to kind of see. You know, it's a really sad story, the slave trade and, and, and the migration or the enslavement of, uh, of people. But, you know, they brought stories, they brought food, they brought recipes, they brought um, all these things with them as well. And I think that's super important to kind of keep in mind and celebrate in the most like, you know, respectful way, you know, this food and, 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 and it still to this day, you know, a lot of it, how it you know, affects us and you know, what we eat day to day. For sure. Yeah. 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 I think that's a really important thing to honor and remember. And, and yeah, I didn't, you know, I think I've been educated a lot on that just by reading a little bit more about what you're working on and then, you know, doing the rabbit trail of like, sure, how, yeah, yeah. you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Of like how, how it's worked, but I'm excited to learn more about, about that story, the full story of how it's yeah. all come to be. But yeah, I think next I want to, I think I have two more questions. The first is cooking related. And the last one we'll talk about the NBA, but first, <laughs> I, I know a lot of people who listen to the show are definitely more like creative. They make things, they um, yeah. are pursuing creative careers in some, some way, shape or form. And one thing I've always been interested in, and I've never gotten to talk to like a really legit chef about it is mise en place. Oh yeah. Yeah. Will you, will you just briefly 
talk about what Misenplatz is, and then maybe we can talk a little bit about that process and, and how that, because it, it, I think there's a lot that's interesting about it that sets up a yeah. chef for success that maybe totally. normal creative people could really start to implement in their own life to, to, be, 1, to be more successful. Yeah, 1,000%. Yeah. I think it's a great kind of uh, term, uh, but philosophy to have for a lot of creatives, you know, and mise en place means everything in place. It's a French term uh, that's used quite often in, in, the, in the culinary world, uh, but everything in place, which means you have everything set, you have everything ready, you have everything chopped, you have all your ingredients measured before you actually start cooking. So you're almost kind of working backwards. And I tell a lot of my cooks that uh, in the beginning, like you want to kind of have your pots and pans, everything set before you're, you're, you're ready to go. Uh, because it eliminates wasted movement. And that's one right. thing to be a super efficient in the kitchen. When you think about if you're if you're cooking something and you're going back and forth to pick up a lemon or a piece of butter or a fish or whatever, you've probably wasted um, in every one of those moments, two minutes, two minutes. You imagine you're doing that um, in, a, yep. in a five, six hour service, you probably wasted an hour and a half of your time just going back and forth when you could have had everything at one spot. So that right there just boosts your efficiency, which allows you obviously to do more of what you want to do in a better way. You can focus on, you know, um, yep. searing that fish to perfection. You can focus on, you know, doing whatever it is that micro task is to perfection. Mm. And then really that's a, it's a great way to, to live life. I think um, I, I learned the term in culinary school but it really came to be in my first job, uh, my first restaurant. I worked at a spot mm -hmm. called Nixon on Broadway in Rhode Island, Providence, Rhode Island. And my first chef, Derek Wagner, was like, this is what your station should look like. You know, you should have your mm -hmm. towel here. You have your knife here. You should have your uh, your vegetables here. You should have your, like a waste bin right here. So you're not mm -hmm. necessarily looking for a garbage can every time you're like sure. peeling an onion or whatever. Like you should mm -hmm. have everything just set at your station and it should just be a fort, you know? So like, you don't have to move. And I love that. Like I love watching cooks who have their station, you know, kind of set up uh, and everything. And it may not work for every kind of creative uh, avenue, but I think it would mm. for a lot. Sure. You know, when you're a, an artist, you know, you want to have all of your tools right there. You don't want to kind of run around. You don't want to lose, you don't want to risk the time losing inspiration because you're looking for something, you know what I mean? Or you're, you're yeah. searching for something. So just keep it and try to bottle, you know, as much of that momentum. Cause I know for a lot of creatives, it comes and goes in spurts and it's right. there and it's in abundance. And then after a while it's like flat and you're, you're kind of like roadblocked or whatever. Mm. So same thing for a writer, like have whatever it is that gets you going, you know, that keeps your mind going, you know, you can have your, uh, um, you know, your, your glass of water, you can have like your, you know, whatever it is that keeps your mind going and sure. you know, you'll take it from there. So mise en place is a great kind of uh, way to live by. And I remember even one time it comes to me when I pack my daughter's stuff all the mm -hmm. time, like let's say we're going out to like, yeah. you know, friends and family, that bag that she has with her, like her diapers and her, you know, extra bottle and all that, like mm -hmm. that needs to be packed before we even like think about dressing her up. That's the mind mise en place for her right. every single time. I got to make sure yeah. her bag is packed. So, you know what I mean? We're, we're good to go. And it's, it's, it really is like a great way. So you kind of work backwards to work forward. Yeah. It's a great way to think about things for sure. Especially for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I feel like it's kind of like the work before the work of like, yeah. you, yeah. you kind of, you kind of handle the stuff that like, it's just not, it, it's weird. It's almost like this, a, a, you're, you're designing the appropriate time. You're like making pre-decision decisions to where you've mm -hmm. decided bef beforehand. I want to spend my time this way. And so I'm going to make these decisions now to set myself up for success. Um, totally. Absolutely. And I think like, like what you were saying, if you're a writer or if you're a painter or whatever, it's like, don't like turn your internet off or yeah. put, the, put, the, put, <laughs> yes. the, put the headphones on because anytime you kind of leave your station, you know, so to speak mm -hmm. in, in, in the kitchen or in any sort of, you know, focused project or task, every time you leave the station, you could get distracted by some other thing going on somewhere else. And then you just totally Absolutely. lost your way. So that's one thing about cooking that I've always thought was just like so smart. And, it, and it's, it's not even like, a nice to have, it feels like a necessity. You will lose oh, yeah. so much time and energy and like, you'll just get buried if you don't do it. And I think Listen, yeah. that that urgency is, is really important to remember. No, totally. It caught me. I mean, top chef, my last, like, even, um, it was the all-star challenge when I got eliminated, like that was all mise en place for me. And I had mm. no excuse. Cause I knew like I wasn't ready. I, I didn't have my stuff set. And, mm -hmm. you know, I'm going back and forth and picking up pots and pans. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is 20 seconds. This is 30 seconds. And right. It's like you're counting all that. And then you start to lose your way, as you mentioned, Alex. So it's it's so, so true, man. When you can have everything 
90, 100 percent there, all that you have. You don't you're not walking around. You're within the moment, staying within the moment in a lot of creative spaces is the difference between good and great, you know, and 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 really what can separate, you know, somebody's really great album from, a, you know, a really dud album or whatever. So right. like you have to stay within the moment, whether it's for a song, whether it's for a painting, whether it's for a chapter, whether it's for a dish and, and really like respect each and every sort of process and cadence. And that way you can give your work to the masses and be super confident about it, you know? And I think that's really important. For sure. For sure. Okay. Well, anybody who cares about the NBA stick around, anybody who doesn't, <laughs> you can, you can go, uh, I'm a weirdo and Eric and I are weirdos where we're both creative people, but we also love the, the NBA. So, Oh um, gosh, a little too much. <laughs> I know, man. I've been, sta- I've been staying up way too late. I mean, I'm a giant Lakers fan. And so oh my now, gosh, yeah. now they Those got eliminated. I, I, I'm, uh, I'm actually going to sleep at a reasonable time, <laughs> um, which is, which is good. Cause they were on That's super good. late, but I just have to get your take, man. Who's, who's going to win it all. It's a, it's a very random final four now that we're it at, is, but I'm curious yeah. what you think. I'm hoping for Chris Paul, man. I'm pushing for Paul. I, okay. I love for him to, yeah, I love for him to get a ring. I, I think the Suns, at least as a Knicks fans, are like the the, the Knicks of the West. Um, yeah, just exactly. Bad for so <laughs> long, and they really had some tough breaks. But as of recent, um, they've done some really really great jobs in, in their um, coaching staff and everything. So I'm hoping that the Suns can pull it. I'm kind of like a low key Suns fan. Okay, just to see them uh, do it, it'd be really cool. Uh, but on the East. Uh, Trey Young is scary, man. That, that team's got some shooters, like some yeah. shooters. Atlanta wow. has like, and they, they just seem to put like the perfect cast around Trey and for him to come up to New York. And, you know, it's his first time out. He's 22, but Philadelphia, well, that, that was a pretty impressive yeah. uh, series to win. So we'll see how they react to the Bucks. I think it's going to be really interesting to have Giannis uh, mm-hmm. kind of just barrel through. I don't know if there's anybody that right. can guard him. But if they if they if the bus can hold them per, uh, perimeter wise, they have a really good shot. But Trey Young has been doing some really uh, cool, amazing things, man. I love watching him play, even I though know. he torched the Knicks. Yeah, I know, man. He <laughs> MSG. He yeah. shot MSG down. Torched it. Yeah, but I, I, it's crazy the leap he's taken. I just did not expect oh, him man, to be yeah. this good that fast. So it's it's been not fun to watch that. I think he has like a little chip on his shoulder, though. I mean, this yeah. whole Luca draft mm-hmm. and, and everything else. Like he he's trying to show, uh, you know, his execs in the city of Atlanta. I feel like, uh, you know, why they made the best decision in, in, in going with him. And right. I, I love watching that. I mean, I love the little guy I, I'm Chris Paul again. Like I love watching that little guy really get up there and, and make some moves. So, and for me, the playoffs is just an awesome time to watch. Like, you know, the, the rubber hit the road. Uh, yeah. It's the best form of basketball on the, in the entire planet, like the intensity and just uh, the level of game. And then you see like certain players and coaches get exposed as well. Like, I love that. Like I, I yeah. really, really enjoy like watching that, you know, the, the greatness come out of different players. So uh, it's, it's happening right now and it seems like it's clicking for Trey and, and the Hawks. So hopefully they can ride it out. For sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going for the Suns too. I think, even though they knocked the Lakers out, I I, like to see <laughs> I like I like Devin Booker a lot. I like yeah, me too. Uh, I used to not like Chris Paul. He bugged me with all of his. Uh, <laughs> he flops a lot. He flops a lot. I mean, but he so does LeBron. So, <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I think I think the Suns would be a fun one. But at this point, anybody but the Clippers. Basically, that's where I'm at. Anybody but the Clippers. <laughs> agreed. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. I'm just not a big fan. I don't know. I'm just. I grew up with the Clippers just never being, and who's to say tradition shouldn't like rain on everything, but I just, right. I can't, I can't imagine the Clippers being, and I don't like Patrick Beverly. I'm not a big fan of his either. So. Oh no. <laughs> mo- I think he's the most annoying player. In the NBA. He's the worst. So, it's like a, so I can deal with him without the, without the, uh, the finals in the finals or whatever. But I mean, either yeah, way, man, it's, sure. it's, a, it's a good series, man. Yeah. How are you feeling about the Knicks though? Are you uh, now living in New York? Are you catching up on a lot of the Knicks stuff or are you still LA? Yeah. Oh, I'm still LA. I, I grew up a diehard Kobe fan. Like I grew up with life-size Kobe posters on my wall. Like he, he was just always my guy from yeah. age. And I'm I'm not from New York, so from the West, from New Mexico on the West Coast, yep. um, Southwest. But yeah, it's fun to be here. I mean, I was now I'm in Manhattan. Earlier in the year, we were in Brooklyn, right next to Barclays. Oh boy! So yeah. it was it was fun to see like the energy for the Nets really start to rise. Mm-hmm. But I'm annoyed by them too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> another KD super team. He's I incredible. Yeah. yeah. 
And I really was pulling for the Knicks to at least get into the second round. Yeah, but I think, yeah. I mean, the future's bright. It seems like they have just the, like the right pieces. If they can land one or two more more guys, I think they could really compete. So it's Agreed. it's exciting. Yeah. And it and it feels good right now to be in New York, like having both teams be good for the first That's time awesome. in a long time. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. man, I miss it. I, I left, I mean, born and raised, I left New York a few years ago to move out here to the DMV area, but... You know, yeah. I, I I miss that vibe and that energy of a good like two good New York teams happening at once. Like that's that's crazy. So yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, man. Cool, Eric. Well, maybe to close out, where can people find you? Like you're up to a million things. Where can people like connect with all the stuff you're up to? Oh my goodness. Um, my website, Chef Ajapong, A-D-J-E-P-O-N-G dot com. That's normally where I post a lot of my updated stuff. Social media, Chef Eric Ajapong. Bowery Farming, uh, check them out as well. Um, doing a great partnership with them. Uh, Territory Foods, uh, working with them as well. Um, and the cookbooks are on its way. So yeah, just look out for the uh, social media and uh, some TV spots coming up as well. I just did uh, a really cool stint with Michael and Brian Voltaggio for their new show on Discovery Plus. Uh, no mm. plug, but that was a lot of fun to do. Cool. So yeah, I'll be uh, kind of sprayed around on TV and uh right here in the lab working <laughs> for the most part amazing yeah is this your yeah, your kitchen your kitchen this setup is, where you this work? Is, yeah this is pretty much the setup i got the metro racks and all the equipment here and i'm on my nice. work bench at the moment so <laughs> yeah cool, so i get the damage done <laughs> all right cool eric thanks so much for being on the podcast really man really it was a pleasure it. man alex thank you so much man it was a lot of fun That was Chef Eric Ajapong. Please go follow him online to keep up with his cooking, his books, and all the other cool stuff he's up to. It was a pleasure talking to you, Eric. Thanks again for being on the podcast. This podcast was produced by the one and only Josh Perez. And if you need help with your podcast, Josh is the guy to talk to. You can hire him for work at justjoshperez.com. And I promise you will not regret it. He's a great producer and an even better dude. Thanks again, Josh. If you want new podcasts and articles of mine sent to your inbox every week, please sign up for my Substack newsletter at the top of the show notes of this episode to always keep up to date with what I'm working on. And I'll be back soon with another new episode. But until then, thank you for listening to Brave World.